0: For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures, pleasures forevermore. Father, we ask you today that you would give us the eyes to see that you are not only good, but you are better, you are best. We go ahead and ask you to forgive us for our very small view of you when it's compared to the pleasure of this world. We even ask you to forgive us for the times that we've maybe used you so that we can get something else we think is better than you. And we in advance thank you for the finished work of Jesus that covers all of our idolatry and has come this morning through this word that you've given us in Psalm 16 to set us free. May you do it, God. In Jesus' name, amen. As I wanted to think of a good story, a good introduction, you know, good preaching, you're supposed to get everybody's attention at the beginning, I was having a really hard time doing that. And so what I found myself doing was going to YouTube to watch videos, or going to check my email, or going to scroll on Facebook, or to do other tasks on my to-do list that were important but really not as important to that. Why? Because it was getting hard. And then it just occurred to me, this is a good example of what it looks like to have a comfort idol. (laughs) This is a good example of what it looks like to think, I don't really want to do this thing that's hard, so I'll just try to find some way to distract myself. When I was in college, I called this, I had a chair called the chair of good intentions. So I bought this chair, we went dumpster diving probably in college, and I sat in a room, and I'm like, man, I'm going to read so many books in this chair. I'm going to study so hard. You know what I ended up doing in that chair? A lot of naps. It was very comfortable. And so I'd sit down there with my book and my plan that I'd probably spent hours planning on, and then I'd go to sleep. And so I called it the chair of good intentions. This is an area that I struggle with in my life and hopefully have grown some. In where you can have these times of laser focus and detailed research that end up with very little follow-through or dedicated resilience. People who struggle with a comfort idol are restless. They're always wanting to run to the next thing before they get finished with the last thing, or sometimes even get started on the last thing. Heard a band recently uh, called the Lone Bellow. That's not important, but they've written a song. And this is the key line in the chorus. It says, you and I both know you can't be happy for long. So where are you going to run to now? Where are you going to run to now? The comfort idolater is always running to the next thing. Temporarily happy, very quickly dissatisfied, and then on to the next thing. So I even want to pose that as a question to us this morning. For those who really struggle with this, and all of us at times, you and I both know you can't be happy for long. So where are you going to run to now? I was thinking in the, in the spirit of the great theologian Jeff Foxworthy, uh, you might be a redneck. Well, what about you might be a comfort idolater? You might be a comfort idolater if you get bored with something as fast as you were intrigued with it. You might be a comfort idolater if you were poured toward and could easily give in to escapes of sin or what may be called disassociation. So that looks like this. You get stressed, you get chocolate. (laughs) You get stressed, you need to binge on Netflix. You have relational difficulty then guess what? You're going to have a cold the next time your missional community gets together, right? Because you don't want to deal with the discomfort. You might be a comfort idolater if you have big desires and dreams, but little discipline. Always miss your destiny, and so then you just dream again. You might be a comfort idolater if you complain of hard work during the hard work. You like to think about the hard work. It's just when you actually have to do the hard work. You really don't want to deal with pain or the grief in your story. So you just numb it however you can. And sometimes you do that through the life in the church. You just get yourself busy with spiritual things so you don't have to deal with the pain in your heart. You like the idea of change, but you don't actually like the change when it gets hard. You want an adventure. As long as that adventure doesn't call you to any type of discomfort, You always need more and more and more, and it's never enough, never enough. You think the next gadget, possession, vacation, hobby will satisfy you, and so you'll spend for it, manipulate for it, and you'll actually sacrifice for that, but what you'll sacrifice usually is your relationships, and ultimately your relationship with God. One writer says this, worshipers of comfort see other people, even those closest to them, as potential obstacles to their comfort. So, not surprisingly, authentic relationships do not come easily, and as a result, are only invested in to the extent that they will provide and support your quest for comfort. We're on a lighter note. I know it's feeling heavy. It's okay to feel heavy. I think it was Jacob that maybe said this to me the other day. When I want to mention this. So here's a comfort auditor. I have so much to do today, but oh look, there's a survey on what kind of potato I am. <laughs> I like to think about my to-do list, maybe that was somebody else, I can't remember who told me that. That's it though, and this is some of us, <laughs> and all of us at times. We live in a culture that supports this, right? And the very heartbeat of our country is we feel entitled to the pursuit of happiness. It's a right. We watch advertisements on television and YouTube and computer all the time that say if you have this, it will fulfill you. If you have this clothing, if you drink this drink, if you have this experience, then you can finally have your heart satisfied. We watch movies that, think, that actually tell us that if we have a certain relationship with another person, it will complete us. And all of us in here who have had that relationship that we thought would complete us are now wondering, well, I wonder what will complete me now. And then we go to church, and we're told, come have your needs met. Come get your adventure. Come have whatever you want in the name of Jesus. And guess what, guys? It's only going to cost you whatever you're comfortable with. We're not going to call you to any type of sacrifice. We're just here to serve you. Just come consume your southern religious experience. We've got the type of music you want. You want to come at this time. We've got the type of programs you want. You want to come at this time. It's all about you getting what you want. So I say this today as someone who struggles with this with a lot of sympathy, right? All the world's against us to worship this idol. But the good news is, is that God is not here this morning as a cosmic killjoy saying, I want you to all be miserable. No, God is actually saying, I want you to experience a greater joy than living a life with you at the center I want you to experience a life where you actually have more pleasure. Pleasure that lasts forever and breaks into the present through a life that is centered around knowing me and who I am and the fact that I am not just God, but I am good. To be able to live actually believing that because God is good, you don't have to run anymore. That because God is good, you don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction, that because God is good, you don't have to sacrifice your soul and your relationships on the idol of your comfort. And we see this in Psalm 16. In verses one through four, we see the answer to the question we always ask when we look at God's word, and that is, who is God? Who is God? Now the lies we believe about God behind the truths that we find here are this. God, you're necessary, but to be honest, you're boring. If you've not ever thought that, then you're probably just being dishonest. God, I know you're right, but you're just so restricting. I have to give up all my fun to be, follow you i got to pretend like I like it, and really I don't like it. I'd actually rather be doing this other thing that I don't know that you want me to do, because it's better than you are. We believe God can save us, but He can't satisfy us. But hey, who wants to go to hell? So I guess I'm just kind of stuck. We believe God may give good things to us, but He is not good in and of Himself. We need to ask ourselves, though, are the things that we're looking to to satisfy that we think are better than God, are they ever enough? Or are they more enslaving than they are a source for our soul's hope? Well, the truth that sets us free, that if you want to grow in this, and it's going to be a lifetime of growth, is to realize God is good. He is good. Not that he just gives us good things. He is good. He is not just good as good defined by us. He is the definition of good, the standard of good. He is why David can say, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. What is a refuge? What comes to mind when we hear that word? Let's think out loud a little bit. What? Home. What else? A shelter. A safe place. Somebody say something. Somewhere you can't hunt. We know Mike. Mike's idle. No, I'm kidding. honey, <laughs> honey. hunting. hunting, hunting. Okay. Anything else? This is good. Home, shelter, safe place. Comfort. Yes, it's all these things. David knew about refuges. David often had to run and hide. A refuge is a safe place, a shelter, a hiding place, a place where you find comfort from the storm, a place where you find rest for your souls. Mike's really on the right track here. So I was teasing him a little bit. A refuge is where animals that are being hunted and pursued can go and be safe. This is what David is saying. All of us in here have refuges. Where do you run? David said, God is my refuge. He is the place my soul finds its rest, its safety. He's the cave that I go so that I'm not conquered by my enemies. So he says in verse 2, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. There are many good things that God has given us in this world, and we thank Him for it. But we must see, as David sees, that all of these good things only come from their source, our God who is good. From ice cream to your BFF. Apart from God, there is no good. When you eat ice cream... And if you think ice cream's like a bad development of humanity, I'm sorry, insert whatever you like. I like ice cream. All right, when you eat ice cream, that should lead us to worship. God, you created a world that had the ingredients for ice cream. Praise you. I have no good apart from you, God. Coffee, even entertainment. Relationships, these are not bad things, but they're good gifts only because God is a good God. Verse 3, this view of not only God is good, but those who are his people are good. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, and whom is all my delight. Comfort idolaters, what do they usually want to do? They just want to find other people who will join them in their worship of comfort. This is why you'll see all of us, including myself, in many seasons of my life, the friends that you choose and you run with, even if if they're not seeking to follow God, this is what you're going to say about them. Well, you know, they just get me more than those church people do. You know, they don't judge me. You know, they're just more fun, which all equals what? They just affirm everything that I do. And they do it with me. And it's nice to be around people who are all worshiping the same God. But those who see God as good want to be with those who worship God. Verse 4. Man, this is a powerful one. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. There are many gods that want to claim they're good... But any God other than the true God in the end will take more than they give. It's the trick. It's the same trap that happened in the Garden of Eden. Satan comes to Adam and Eve and he says, you know God's holding out on you. You know what God wants? He just wants to keep you from experiencing the fullness of life that you can have in this world. Look at the jerk. He puts this beautiful piece of fruit that that looks so good right in front of you and then tells you you can't have it. What kind of evil tyrant is that? And they take the bait, don't they? And the bait takes more than it gave. I'm sure there was a momentary rush, but as the deer darted into the thickets, Now as creation came under the curse of sin, as the sting of death began to flow through the veins of humanity, there's no temporary taste. There was no fleeting fix that could compare to the joy they forfeited in God at that moment. We're all addicts to a certain degree. We're all looking for a fix. But if the fountain of our hope and joy is not found in God, it may get you by for a season. But it will take more than it gives. And Satan is patient. He don't care to give you 20 years to wreck your life. He'll let you sip on his poison and think for years, this isn't bothering me. I'm doing just fine. but God is good. He may call you to do a hard thing today that will make you more healthy and happy and whole than you could ever imagine 20 years from now. Whether you're a social media junkie, a glutton, a sloth, an actual addict, from pornography to painkillers, God wants to give you better he wants to give you himself. Every now and then you can ask my wife. My, I've had like this weight fluctuation thing in my life. I won't go into that a lot. But I like to eat. And I like to eat too much. You know what I do sometimes when I know that I've ate too much? And I'm like, man, I'm going to feel really bad tonight because I'm getting old and now I've got this heartburn deal or whatever. I have to prop my head up, you know. Or tomorrow morning, I'll just be like, ugh, I can't even move. And so you know what I'll do? Is I'll think, man, I know I'm going to feel bad tomorrow, so I might as well just keep (laughs) eating. You know, I mean, hey, if I've already in this far, I might as well just go dive in head first. You know, I mean, I know I'm going to be tired in the morning already, so what's two more episodes going to hurt? More serious things, people that we know, people that we love, and the communities that we serve. What's one more hit of this drug going to matter at this point? At least, at least it's going to numb my pain. Just like me taking in another batch of fries, right? At least it'll make me feel good right now. At least it'll give me a fix. This is us. This is the people we love. These are the people in our family, in our everyday mission, in our common mission fields. And we have to believe that God is good. He is good. He's the designer and creator of good. We can trust Him. I do a lot of dumb things, as y'all know. One thing is, I, for a period of time, used a screwdriver as a hammer. You might think, why would you do that? Because who wants to go to the garage and get the hammer when the screwdriver's right here? Right? That would be hard. And a comfort idolater wants to choose the path of least resistance. There's a screwdriver. And you know what? It worked. Right? The screwdriver can nail in this little nail. But after a while, you know what happens? The handle on the screwdriver breaks. Why? Because it wasn't made to be a hammer. It was made to be a screwdriver. God has created us. He knows what we're made for, what we're designed for, what will satisfy our souls. And yet we give ourselves to these other gods that, yes, for a time work, but in the end leave us broken, not satisfied, not comforted. They're false refuges. And God in His grace doesn't want to beat us down because we've looked to those. He wants to show us how He is the greater good behind all of those lesser glories. He is calling you today, this morning, to know that He is God and He is good. He doesn't want to restrict you. He wants to show you how what you think is freedom is your slavery. Can you imagine a fish saying, golly bum, if I could just get out on land, I'd be free. I just thought of the little mermaid. But anyway, irrelevant. Ariel. But the fish, right, is thinking, if I could get out of this water, I could be free. Now what happens to a fish when it gets out of the water? Yeah, I'm sure it might feel a rush while it's laying there on the bank. And then what happens? Dead. A fish is designed for the water. The water is not a restriction on the fish. The water is for the freedom of the fish. This is what we have to see, is that running from God doesn't set us free. It enslaves us. It brings us into the domain of the enemy that all he wants to do is to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says in John 10, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. We see this in what God has done in verses 5 through 10. So we ask this question who is God? what has he done in a bad world can we believe that God is good if God is so good then where is he at what is he doing the lies we believe are God says he's good but I don't see him doing other things I can see and feel and taste and touch these other things but I just can't see and feel and taste and touch that God is good So where do we look? We have to look at God's actions. We have to look not only to his character, but to his conduct. And what we see in verse 5 here is that David does exactly this. He says, the Lord, you're my chosen portion. You're my cup. You're who I go to to get satisfied. I'm not running to other places. I'm running you. I'm going to choose to drink from the cup of your satisfaction. Why? Because you hold my lot. Now, This is language that we don't use a lot. You hold my lot. What is he saying? You're the one who is, that handles my place in this world. What David is speaking of here as he talks about lots and lines is land. Now if you know anything about Israel, ancient Near East and Israel, and even this as much today, is land is very important. Land is where you do your life. Land is where you find your wealth. Even land is where you find your identity. And David is saying, It is you, God, who hold my lot. It is from you that the lines have fallen in pleasant places. It is from you that I have been given a beautiful inheritance. God did all these things for David. David was the least in his family. David was the one who didn't look like he had what it had to get anything other than to just be a shepherd out in the middle of nowhere. He wasn't even worthy of being in the line to be chosen to be king. And yet God acted on his behalf and covenanted with him so that he might be the king of Israel and so that he might rule and reign as the representative of God and his kingdom in this world. David knew he had all that he had for his future. Comfort idolaters often wrestle with something we call FOMO. So I'll teach you some little words here. Fear of missing out. If you wrestle with this, you have a fear of missing out. You need to be in on everything. You need to experience everything. And usually, if you're a comfort idolater, you need to make sure you experience it a little more than everybody else did. Right, so if they're going to go 70 miles an hour, you're going to go 100 miles an hour. I mean, if this is good, let's just do it. But they also wrestle with, I made this one up, foro. This is what this means. Maybe this absurdity will help you remember. Fear of running out. This is a big one for the comfort idolater. I don't want to stay put. I don't want to give myself to this because it will run out. I once counseled a lady who struggled with shoplifting. When she grew up, a big part of her story was there was never enough food in the home. And so she had to learn to, when her parents would buy groceries because they weren't responsible parents, that she had to hoard food in her house so that she would have enough for later. Later. And so she lived in her mind with this fear of running out. Even though now her and her husband both had good jobs, plenty of money, plenty of food, in her heart was this driving motivation that I may not have enough. The comfort of a daughter needs to see that God will provide for His people. If they look to Him as God... But there's also, and I won't try to make this sound like a phrase, there's the fear of being alone. So David says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, and the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Behind the worship of comfort is usually fear. The emotion of fear. Comfort idolaters don't like pain. They're afraid. They're afraid to be still. If I'm still long enough, if I'm quiet long enough, then this is all going to come up within me. They don't like to sleep, right? And like I said, I'm I'm in the boat with you guys, so I'm I'm talking to myself. There's a mirror back here. That's weird for me, but I need it, right? So I'm just preaching to myself right here. So nobody think I'm talking to you, right? You don't want to. You don't want to go to sleep. You want to stay up until you pass out. Because you know, as soon as I get quiet, this ain't going to be good, and this ain't going to be good. Those who look to the Lord and know Him as good, even in the night, He speaks to us. He doesn't come with words of guilt, shame, and fear, and condemnation. He comes with good news that we are His children. He comes to show us that what He did for David, He has done even greater for us in Jesus. In a world where we're surrounded and enslaved to broken cisterns, we're drinking out of wells that have leaks in them, he sends us Jesus, is the bread of heaven. He sends to us women at the well, all of us men and women, who just continue to go from relationship to relationship to relationship to substance to substance to substance to activity to activity to activity, thinking, maybe this one's going to fulfill me. He sends us Jesus, who says, if you drink from me, I will give you water from a well that never runs dry. He gives us Jesus, the Son, who in the wilderness knew what it was to want and to have all other options offered to Him from the enemy and for Him to say, no, I am not fed merely by bread alone, but from the bread that comes from heaven. And He didn't do this as some unrealistic example for us. He did this as a substitute for us in our place. He was the better Adam. He was the better Israel. And the good news is, He is the better you. And He went to the cross for our comfort idolatry. And He said, I'm not, I'm not going to stand back from the messes that they create. I'm going to step into it. And He took the ultimate discomfort on Calvary's hill for us. That's how much He loves you. If you doubt that God is good, look to the cross. Here's how good He is. He gave His Son to die in your place so that you might have a seat at His table. This is how good he is. He didn't leave his son in the grave, but he brought him forth alive so that we might now be given the same spirit that dwell in Jesus. This is how good he is, that though we continue to live in this world of school shootings, of broken hearts, of broken homes, and broken lives, One day he is going to return and he is going to set everything to rights. And there will be no evil that is left untouched, unreconciled, and unredeemed. This is our God. He is good. David looked to what God had done and we must look to what God has done. If you've thought any about this subject before, you've heard this, but C.S. Lewis on mud pies. He says these words, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels. Get this, this this is game changer, no exaggeration. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. And underline that. God's not saying, you're, you're going too hard after pleasure. He's saying, no, you're actually not going hard enough. He further explains. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. God is no killjoy. He is thinking, guys, children, why are you settling? Why are you settling for less joy? why the formers of catechisms that some of us love start it like this. What is the chief in the man? To know God and enjoy Him forever. Another said to know God, to glorify Him by enjoying Him forever. But what is even more beautiful is we are those kids playing in the mud. God, sorry, I like my mud. And we're dirty. And it's covered us. And it's got us weighed down. And he sends Jesus and he says, I'll take all the mud on me. And Jesus takes all the consequences that we ultimately deserve on him. Clothes us with his righteousness. Sits us at his table. Says, now I want you to start to live out of who you are. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ today, you are a child of the king of the universe. You don't got to go looking everywhere else for somebody to take care of you and give you stuff that they're they're just going to use you and manipulate you and leave you high and dry. Your father wants to love you. This is the invitation. So let's quickly think here from Psalms. How would this look if we really believed it? Verses 9 through 11. And we'll be finished. This is what it looks like when we believe that God is good so we don't have to worship our own comfort or look elsewhere for satisfaction. David says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Notice this. When God is at the center of your pursuit for good, for joy, for comfort, and happiness, your heart will grow into gladness. Your whole being, this will affect you physically. If you've been worshiping an idol of comfort, guess what? Your brain's got to be rewired. And your physical self has got to be changed in this process of satisfaction because you're addicted to it, whatever it is, from pornography to painkillers to to whatever type of food you may be addicted to, right, your body's starting to crave this. This is why when people go into detox, it is painful. But on the other side of it, it's beautiful. On the other side of your detox from whatever your addiction is, from the smallest thing to the biggest, is security. It's the freedom from living a life that's driven by fear. David can even look death in the eye, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption, because he knows he serves a God that even conquers death. It's why in Acts they even use this verse to speak of the resurrection of Jesus, because God is a God who is good even in over death. And so verse 11, the verse, if you're a comfort idolater, you need to memorize this. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is going to take work. And this is the catch for us comfort idolaters. That's the one thing we really don't want to have to do for long. Until it gets, we want to do it until it gets boring. But it's better. You're going to have to have faith in God's goodness when it doesn't feel good. I know that's hard. You're going to have to be able to live outside of the moment. I know that's hard. God knows your frame, He knows it's hard. He's not going to be standing there along the way with his hands crossed saying, Get your act together. You should know this by now. If that's your view of God, that's not. He's your Father who's going to walk with you. He wants to hold your hand, He wants to be by your side. He just wants to keep telling you this. He wants to give you that path to life. He wants to show you that in His presence, there's a greater joy than the temporary fixes this world is offering you. He wants you to taste and see. You see, you can't defeat sin just by saying no. That doesn't work. You've got to actually begin to experience that God will give me greater joy than this other thing. That's why the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You're only going to be able to throw out this other pleasure that's hurting you because you are actually finding a superior pleasure in who God is. Which means you're going to have to reset your palate. Alright? I'm just going to confess this. Jason didn't tell me he's going to have a video on, but I'm going to say it on the camera. I like McDonald's. Alright, judge me. Alright. If you were to take me to some like super nice restaurant, I would... I would probably not like it. <laughs> I'd probably about as soon have a fried bologna sandwich as I would have a steak. I probably need my palate to be reset. <laughs> you know, the only way in my palate it's going to be reset is I'm going to have to start eating the other stuff before I realize it's good. You're going to, if you're going to take some strides, some steps in growing, you're going to, have to, you're going to have to test and taste and see that the Lord is good. You're going to have to say, oh no, I'm going to actually go read my Bible for 10 minutes when I could be getting into that next thing on Netflix. And guess what? You're physically going to feel like this is wrong. I'm going to pray for three minutes even though the awkwardness of the silence feels debilitating to me. Just trust me. God is at work for good in you. And he wants you to to grow so that this could be said of you. This is freedom. You can persevere when there's no immediate gratification. And guess what? You can actually reach some of your goals. You can deal with your story, even the hard parts. You can grieve. And guess what? You can be freed from the control it has over you. You can do hard things versus the paths of least resistance. You can do versus just dream. You can be sacrificial. You can escape to Jesus. You can actually be in a really love other people instead of just having dreams of loving other people. And you can feel the joy of of that. Above all, you can glorify God. Because as one author says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Think about that. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. You want to glorify God? Then pursue happiness in Him with all you've got. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that how good He is? He has designed this world that His greatest glory would come through you experiencing your greatest joy. Because God is good, we don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction. Father, we thank you for your goodness today.